bringing Gator Nation a different Gator great every episode. This is Jabari Gaffney. You're listening to the All For The Gators podcast. Hey, I'm Earl Everett. You're not a Gator, you're Gator bait. This is Bo Carroll. Hey, I'm Rita Anthony. This is Kiwan Ratliff, and you are listening to All For The Gators podcast. This is Seatric Faison, a.k.a. C4. This is Brandon James. This is Jack Jackson. Go Gators. Hi, this is your boy Jeremy Mincy, a.k.a. Mr. Mintz, and we were the All For The Gators podcast. This is Ben Trooper. You're listening to the All For The Gators podcast. Hey, guys, this is Jarvis Moss. Go Gators. You're rocking with Lee Toe Shepard, and we're all for the Gators podcast, man. Top notch. This is Chris Doring, and you're listening to the All for the Gators podcast. And now, your Gator alumni hosts, John, Andy, and Sid. You're going to do the intro, Andy? <laughs> Sounds good to me. That's your legacy, man. You're famous, man. These guys are going to have you, you know, doing their Hall of Fame inductions one day, man. I would never want to take that <laughs> away from you. No. Jabbar didn't call. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, for one. <laughs> Jabbar had you do the after-party celebration. You weren't you weren't cool enough for the actual intro, which is still quite an honor. So, for our intro this week, guys, look, I know you're not big social media guys. I'm not a pro social media guy, but I've been on it long enough. I've seen things. People always push the like and subscribe. Is that what they say? Smash the like button and subscribe, share and subscribe. I've never really done that for this show. Like and subscribe, friends of the show. Go ahead, click, click, click. It's not that easy, Sid. Sure it is. I'm talking about like <laughs> getting it out on social media and really just do a, a push to spread the word about this show. I mean, we've done well organically. You know, we've been doing this about a year now, and our listenership has shot way up organically. But what if we did a push on social media to say, if you listen, if you're one of the All for the Gators podcast faithful, and you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, and it brings something to your life as a Gator fan, why don't you share it? Why don't you share it with your friends and your family and you know on social media and uh, whether that's tweeting it on Twitter or sharing it can't say that on anymore. Instagram. There's no more Twitter. You can't tweet. Oh, X. That's right. X yeah. X going to bring yeah. it to you. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, if you're TikToking, I don't know. Can they do that on TikTok? Maybe. TikToking. This is not familiar ground for Andy and oh, I. We, we defer God. to you on this, our uh, social media guru. I think we should do that. And not only that, how about this? Here's the icing on the cake. We're going for the icing. Okay. The icing is if you are a faithful listener and you do share it on social media and you tag our show, how about we do a huge... Florida Gator signed memorabilia giveaway. Now you're talking. So Am if, I eligible? If you I'll, share, I'll post. I'm excited. Now you're talking. There we go. Nope. Okay. Nope. Just our listeners to share and spread the word even further and just do one big push on social media. And if we see you doing it out there, we're going to give you something. We're going to give you something signed by one of our awesome Florida Gator great guests. How about that? And if you choose to, you could send it back to Sid. You yeah. could just forward it to Sid's house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. And you can tell us how it goes. Let's do it. I got a ton of stuff to give away, signed by our awesome Gator great guests, and that's how we're going to do it. I'm sure people would want that stuff. I, I'm, I would. Well, are we getting any swag from our guests from today? Does he have anything to sign to give away to our friends out there tagging our show? He does. I sent him a package last week, and it should be back in the mail soon. You want to know who it is? I do. Who is it? I do. Yes. Tell us. Guys, this man needs no introduction on a Gators podcast, but here's one anyway. We're talking family legacy. Started back at PK Young High School right there in Gainesville, 
where he was an All-American and balled out with our friend of the show, Terry Jackson. Well, the head ball coach wanted him in the fun and gun, so he got to play with the big boys in the swamp. Not only did he play with them, he caught the ball and ran right past them into the record books. Hmm. The most receiving yards in a single season ever by a wide receiver in the orange and blue, the entire SEC as well. A record that still stands at UF to this day. And if you think about all the stud receivers that have come through UF, that's a pretty big deal. (laughs) He'd go on to a nice seven-year pro career. Gator Nation, I give you first-team All-SEC, All-American, two-time SEC champ, and 1996 national champion with number three on his chest, Mr. William Travis McGriff. <laughs> Welcome. All right, you, all right. You guys went with the full name. I felt like I'm in great Oh, that's his thing. Game, that's his thing. <laughs> Government oh, <yeah>. names. <laughs> oh, I used to dread the first day of school because they'd call me William and nobody knew who that was. So you guys just made me relive some memories. Thank you. Cool to have you on with us, Travis, and, and taking the time. Uh, first off, before we get started, I want to ask your opinion on this. Uh, we don't really talk about the current Gators too much, especially week to week. The season's now over, and there's some controversy with with Ricky Pearsall. Uh, he was something like 52 yards shy of a thousand for the year, and right. and he didn't get it. And his mom was ripping Coach Napier uh, on social media about not getting him to a thousand. So, as a receiver, do you think Coach Napier should have fed him all game until he got that thousand? What do you think about the online backlash? Uh, you know, it's a great question. Um... And I understand all sides of it. I I think it's really poor taste when either the player or the player's family gets on social media, which can be a very dangerous place. But when the family gets on social media and complains from a selfish perspective after you just lost the Florida State game, that the coaching staff should have prioritized you getting 1,000 yards, I I think that's bad. I don't like that. What I do understand 1,000% is that Ricky wanted to get it. Um, I, I, I would want my receivers to want to get it. I would have wanted to get it. So I totally understand that he's had a heck of a year. He's a really good player. Um, you certainly would have thought he would have more than one catch and whatever it ended up being, maybe 17 yards in that game. I kind of thought he'll certainly get the thousand. Um, so I'm disappointed that he didn't, I, but if it's me and I'm standing in his shoes, I'm getting after my mom big time for being on social media complaining. About that. <laughs> All right, let's go back to your high school career a little bit. Back at PK Young, you were a stud receiver there, no doubt. Um, how was the team back then? Also, did you play any other sports besides football? Yeah, great question. So I did, um, and I'll make this quick. But I actually started at Buholtz High School, and my first two years okay. were at Buholtz. And I was fortunate enough to be on the, the 1990 um, Buholt state title team. I got moved up to the varsity as a freshman and was actually a quarterback through high school. And then my sophomore year was the starting quarterback. My freshman year, when they moved me up, I was a backup. And then my sophomore year, I started. We had a really good team. And we ended up losing in the Final Four to Orlando Evans. And then after that year, I decided to transfer o- over to PK Young, kind of a, a long story. The gist of it was at Buholtz, we were really, really good. We had a great offensive line. We had a really good running back, Tyrone Baker, who actually signed with Florida, um, was a heck of a high school running back. And our coach, we, we just ran the ball. It just That's what he knew. We just ran the ball and nobody went both ways and so it sort of appeared to me as a quarterback or a receiver, I wasn't a receiver yet, but in one of those skill positions, Buholtz at the time, despite its winning record um, and history, was a little bit of a dead end for a skill guy. 
And at PK Young, John Clifford was the coach, and he's an old Gator guy. And uh-huh. Terry Jackson was over there. Um, Robert Baker was over there, who ended up going to Auburn. He's a year behind Terry and I. And there were some other really good players that I had known from growing up. Terry, you guys mentioned Terry at the outset. Terry and I played together football and basketball since we were eight years old. And so I knew we would be really good over there from a skill standpoint. Didn't know if we'd have the interior guys, but I went over there and it was great. I actually was a quarterback and played defense. Didn't play receiver until I got to college. Um, But due to, you know, size and speed and all those different kind of things, I kind of always knew I'm probably going to end up at receiver or DB. Um, But I had a ton of fun over there playing with those guys. We were pretty wide open. Um, Terry and I both went both ways and Robert Baker went both ways, kind of the typical small school, um, deal where your best guys go both ways. And, um, I I thought that was very significant in my growth as a football player, playing both sides of the ball and understanding both sides and sort of how to counter, you know, the other positions, um, played basketball, ran track, and so was always busy doing something that was in the in the time of no specialization. You know, you kind of did everything, and I, I still sort of believe that's the best way to do it. But um, it was a lot of fun, and, you know, PK Young is the, the laboratory school for the University of Florida, so we were already connected to the university, right. and, uh, and that's fun. If you guys didn't know, you know, PK's nestled right in – uh, sort of the heart of sorority row. So driving <laughs> to and from school, the, the scenery wasn't half bad. <laughs> <laughs> this brings me to lots of questions. First, uh, you mentioned friend of the show, Terry Jackson, playing with him since you were a little kid. Obviously, both family legacies here. So um, the most important question you're going to get all show here, who is the first family of UF football? Is, is it the McGriffs <laughs> or the Jacksons? Let, let's hear your case. Tell, tell us uh, why it's with you guys. It's a great <laughs> question. Um, um, I, gosh, I don't know that I could pick one. The Jacksons have such a, a neat history with Willie Sr. being, um, you know, one of the first black scholarship athletes at the university. And then Willie Jr., um, who I grew up knowing very well. And, and Willie was great to, to us younger guys that were Terry's friends. And he had a great career at the University of Florida and then played in the NFL and you know, then Terry comes along and now you have Khalil over there who's Willie Jr.'s son and um, their family history is great. They all wear number 22, which is kind of cool. Yes. Um, you know, our our crew, my, my grandfather, so my dad's dad ran track at Florida and my dad played at Florida, coached at Florida. And then I have some cousins, Mark and different guys that played in Florida too. So it, it's pretty neat, the family history. And I think when, when we were both coming up, um, you, you felt it, you, you felt a, a commonality with, with each other, um, that there were some things that maybe we understood that, that the other kids didn't. And then it was really cool our senior year when we both got offered by, by Florida. I was offered a couple months earlier than Terry was. And Terry was kind of coming down to the wiring, had a Kentucky offer and a Duke offer, and I'll never forget when when Florida offered him. It was in the middle of a school day, and I guess he got the word through through Coach Clifford, and Terry came and found me, and um, it was just super cool to to know that we were both going to get that opportunity at the time. Obviously, Florida was 
at the top of the mountain as far as, you know, top teams in the country and playing for Coach Burrier and the fun and gun and all that went with that. It was just kind of a dream come true for both of us. And, you know, when Terry, I'm sure he told you this, when Terry was originally signed, he was a two-way guy as well. And they really had him slotted to play either strong safety or linebacker. But when he got to UF, there were some injuries, and they knew that Terry had played running back in high school. And Terry went over there in the spring and just did what Terry does and is a really good player. And then they never moved him and had a heck of a career. So That, that was, seemed to have worked out well for him. Yeah, it did. <laughs> what position were you being recruited to play at Florida? Well, receiver, it was different at different schools. Um, you know, and like I said earlier, I was a, a quarterback and a defensive back all growing up. And I had really never played receiver. When I'd go to camps in the summer, I would do it then. But but really nothing on tape. I would just, you know, run around and throw it at quarterback and then cover him up on defense. And so Florida wanted me to play receiver. Florida State wanted me to play receiver. Kentucky actually offered me as a quarterback, they were still running the option with Bill Curry. Um, Arkansas wanted me to play safety. Clemson wanted me to play receiver. So it was a, a little all over the board. Um, but I always thought that was w one of the powerful things about playing multiple positions is team can watch you and they can watch you do lots of different things and, and you figure out where you fit um, and, and just get in the door, you know, just get in the door and then you figure out a way to get on the field and, um, I, I enjoyed not specializing. It was it was fun. So does Coach Spurrier come and watch you play? Is there any recruiting going on? I mean, since you're a legacy, what, you know, were you just going to Florida the whole time? No, no. It actually, um, I had. Uh, I'll back up real quick. But when when I was in, I guess late middle school, so like seventh eighth grade, I, I had this infatuation with Notre Dame. And that was late 80s, so we're Galen Hall, we're Gary Darnell, we're 6-5. and five. Rocket. Yeah, exactly. Rocket. They had Tony Rice. And I, yeah, they had Tony Rice. Yeah. Rocket, Ismail, and, yeah. and they had all those guys, <laughs> and they win the national title in 88. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought, man, maybe I can be something like Rocket for Notre Dame. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so I kind of fell in love with them in the late 80s and really thought that's where I want to go. And then when Coach Spurrier came to Florida and, you know, all that, that happened happened with the offense and the explosiveness and just such an exciting brand of football, then I fell in love with Florida again. So I was a legacy and I had grown up watching it. But as I was getting closer to maybe imagining I'll have an opportunity to do this, I was kind of disenchanted with them until Spurrier showed up. And then I was in love with him. <laughs> And prior to my senior year, I really had it down to three. It was Notre Dame, and it was Florida, and it was Florida State. And I went up to South Bend for camp in the summer heading into my senior year. Things happened a little bit later back then than they do now. And I loved it. It was great. But I just I could not envision going there and being you know, way up north. It just didn't feel right. And so then it was really down to Florida and Florida State. And if you can believe this, it sounds crazy to say now, but really all the way through the summer leading into my senior year and the early part of the fall, I, I really was kind of split down the middle. Hmm. And if, if I'm telling the truth, Florida State did a much better job recruiting than Florida did. And this isn't just me. This is anyone would tell you this that was being recruited by both schools at the time. Florida had, and this is just Spurrier's 
personality. But Florida had this way of, you know, hey, we, we'd love to have you. And, you know, we're going to offer a scholarship. But if if you don't come here, that's fine. And we'll probably beat you wherever you go. <laughs> and, and, and Florida State would make you feel like they can't go on if, if you don't come. And Jim Gladden was the guy that recruited me. He was the outside linebackers coach at the time. And that, that staff that Coach Bowden had had been together forever. So anyways, long story short, I'm really 50-50. So going into the 93 game, which was the work done down the sideline, their first national title, I, I'm telling myself I'm just going to watch this neutral as a recruit. And it was at Ben Hill. And I walk in that stadium, guys, and there wasn't one cell in my body that could be neutral or pull for Florida State. <laughs> and so right at that moment, I just knew I got to be a Gator. It's done. You know, beautiful. there's, there's <laughs> no more trying to be logical about this. I, that's where my heart is. And, and I think that after that game is when I committed. Well, when you get to campus in 94 and that receiver room is just ridiculous. Jack Jackson, Riedel, Ike, Quez, your fellow PK Young alum, Chris Doring. Yep. Tell us about that room. It had to be something. It was. And I think, you know, when when it's all you know, I don't know that you fully appreciate it. So coming in, you know, Jack had just come off a, a, a big year prior to that. And, and Jack was kind of the star in the room. And Chris had had some really good moments. And Aubrey Hill who was a really good player. A lot of, a lot of times people for, forget about him. Um, but he, Aubrey was a really good player, and Jack and Aubrey were the two starters. And then when they went multiple, you know, Chris came in, and, and then you had the young guys. You had Ike, and you had Riedel, and you had Quez, and you had me. And um, just as you said, it was an absolutely loaded room. And I, what I don't think anybody realized was that each one of those guys, what they would go on to become in their career. I, I don't know from a production standpoint, from an accolade standpoint with all-conference, all-American, you know, certain guys have records, NFL draft picks. I don't know at any school that you've ever had a more loaded room. I mean, everybody you just mentioned, Jack, Chris, Redell, Ike, Quez, you can throw me in there. Every one of those guys was a first-team All-SEC receiver. Every one of them, I think, made an All-America team. Every one of them was an NFL draft pick. And everybody had really big statistical careers and, and big years. So it was just nuts. But it was all we knew. You know, I didn't know anything different. I just thought, well, this is how it is, and this is who you compete with. But I think... What you'd have to give some credit for with everybody is part of why everybody developed like they did and became as good as they did is because the competition was so intense and the guys in front of you, the guys behind you were really good. So that's the room Pretty when I'm a freshman. <laughs> but when I'm older, you know, the guys behind me are Daryl Jackson and Travis Taylor and guys that are, are really good. You look up, you look behind, and you're thinking, you know, all these guys are really, really good. And, you know, you always have dreams to play pro football, but what used to go through my head on just a daily basis is that if I can just be really good here, if I can be one of the best guys here, 
then you're probably going to be one of the best guys in the country. And I sure. think everybody sort of felt that way. And, you know, when you're young, you watch the older guys, you watch Jack and you watch Chris and what do they do? And, um, you know, you learn and you steal things. And it, it was just a really unique time. And I think all of us thought this is just how it'll be forever. You know, the Gators will always have, always have a first team all SEC guy. And they'll always have somebody that probably leads the league in yards. And they'll always have an NFL draft pick. And, um, you know, that, that just, that isn't how it goes. That's, that's really not reality. We were, we were fortunate enough to be part of a very special time period. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think you appreciate it so much more looking back at this stage of life. So that year in 94, you actually have an ankle injury and you get a medical redshirt, but you did get on the field in the swamp for the first time as a Gator. Take us back. Who was it against? How did you feel when you walked out that tunnel for the first time in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium? Yeah, pretty surreal. So as a true freshman, you guys did your homework. As a true freshman, the the original thought was they're not going to redshirt me. Um, I'm playing as a true freshman. And our first game was against New Mexico State. And I'm, I'm slotted to play a, a, a pretty good bit. And I think if my memory serves, I think I catch two balls in that game. Um, you know, I think a little hitch route, maybe two little hitch routes later in the game, second half, we're blowing them out. And it was really pretty surreal. I, I remember going out as a freshman and you come through the tunnel and, you know, it's just, it, you're taking it all in and you're thinking, golly, you know, three months ago I was in high school at PK Young and here we are and I'm going to, I'm going to go in the game and they might even throw it at me. <laughs> But but then you, then you have to remind yourself I got to stop thinking about all of that and I got to just focus on you know what was the play call and what's my job and you know I I belong here and and I can play with these guys and um, I, I remember it's funny because I can I can hear Spurrier getting on me in the meeting room right now <laughs> but you know it was always drilled into our head when you catch the ball really you know look it in with your eyes and tuck it away. And on the first play, when they throw me the hitch, my eyes are so far away from that ball. I'm looking downfield, ready to run. And I remember Spurrier making kind of a funny jab like he always does about, well, you know, you got to look the ball in. You know, wrestling. (laughs) And and so it was just kind of nuts. And then uh, our next game was against Kentucky, and I caught one ball. But what was kind of clear after – after that second game against Kentucky was that because of, you know, Jack and Aubrey and Chris and Riedel and Ike, that my playing time was going to be a little bit limited. And it may be a bit of a waste to not redshirt me. And so the inside story of this is that we're eating in Yon Hall and Spurrier walks in behind me and he says, Trav, you know, your ankle been bothering you? And I kind of look at him, and I was like, uh, <laughs> not really, man. What? You know, no. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I think you need to go see Chris Patrick, trainer. And so about that time, I'm sort of catching on, like, all right. So I go see CP, and he says, um, Trav, we're, <laughs> you got a nice problem, and we're going to medically redshirt you. And, you know, back then you could do it if you had only played a certain percentage of games. 
And we were right there at that point. And so I was actually, you know, there was a small part of me that was disappointed, but the majority of me was happy about it because I wasn't going to burn a year. And, you know, I had played in a couple games and gotten some experience and caught three or four balls. And um, anyways, that's that's how that played out. That was a big Dr. Spurrier to the rescue. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Dr. Spurrier. So moving on the next year, again, it's a little bit of a limited role, but you do get into a lot of games. You get into 12 games that year yeah. as part of your development and fighting for targets that year. Um, how did that go? And then also kind of cap it off with how was that Nebraska loss and the impact that that had on you moving into the next year? Yeah. So as a freshman, the the five receivers would have been Chris Redell, Iquez, Chris Redell, Iquez, and me. And as you said, you know, I think I caught, I don't know, maybe 12 balls that year and a touchdown against Georgia. So I'm I'm playing in the four receiver sets. I'm in the rotation. I'm playing when we go five wide and, um, you know, all of those things. But it's a, as we said earlier, it's a loaded receiver room and all those guys are really good. And um, you're just kind of battling for playing time. And, you know, that team was a really, really good team undefeated in the SEC roll into the Fiesta Bowl 12-0, and 0, and really are just smashing people. Coach Burr would know these numbers off the top of his head, but our, our margin of victory was was crazy. I mean, it was like 40 points, and, and that's that's SEC teams that were beaten like that. And so we, we beat Arkansas in the SEC championship game, and then we head into the Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska thinking we're going to smash them too. And what we ran into was – one of the best teams, in my opinion, of all time in college football. And we really didn't see that coming, guys. Watching film of them, and, and it was really us just being naive, but watching film of them, we thought, you know, they're slow, they can't run. Yeah, we know they're physical, but they can't run with us. They can't They can't cover what we do downfield, and we'll be just fine. And this was also prior to Spurrier being comfortable in the shotgun. So Danny is still under center, uh, in most all formations. And turns out, you know, they just beat us down um, like I've never been beat down at any level in any game. And I'll never forget at halftime, I don't even remember what the score is, but we go in at halftime and it's actually quiet in the locker room. Nobody's talking, not even the coaches. There's no screaming and yelling. Nobody's on the board yet. It's just really quiet. And towards the end of the halftime, there's some chatter that picks up and, you know, we're talking a little bit, but it was because nobody knew quite what to say. We'd been hit by a train and nobody quite knew where are the answers. And I'll never forget. So I I was playing a little bit, but when Quez got hurt, you know, Quez dislocates his hip on a kickoff return. And when that happened, rotation gets shuffled a little bit. And now I'm playing a bunch. And I ended up catching two balls in the game, um, you know, which was a good experience. The outcome of the game was terrible. But for me personally, that was that was fun catching a couple balls. But I'll never forget, I go out there and we're running our stuff. And they're pretty much playing press man across the board. So they're bumping you. They're right up in your face. There's a safety or two over the top. They're loading the box. They're pressuring Danny. We're getting hit in the mouth. We can't protect. And I'll never forget, more so than anybody we had played that year, we're all having a hard time separating and getting away. 
there's just not much space. And normally anyone that played us man to man was just going to get beat over right. the head with, you know, touchdown after touchdown. What do you attribute that to? How, how are they stopping you from doing that? Well, yeah. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm going to tell you exactly what we attribute that to is it turns out after the fact, we realized that three of the four DBs were like first and second <laughs> round picks. So Michael Booker was sure. one of them. He's a first round pick. Tyrone Williams was another one. He's a second round pick. I think Mike Mentor was a safety. They were absolutely loaded. And I remember... After that year, you know, the NFL draft and then the year after that, the draft and seeing what those guys actually became and who they were. You know, they had the Peter brothers inside playing uh, defensive line and Grant Wistrom. And I mean, it was just like a who's who of college all stars and future NFL picks. And I remember looking back going, all right, that that wasn't so bad, I guess, that we were getting covered a little bit by these guys because they were pretty dadgum good. And then the other thing that we were doing is we were spreading the field four and five wide, and we we really weren't protecting Dar- Danny very well because he was under center. So he had no time. There was no separation, and they would load the A-gap. They would walk a backer up right there between the center and the guard, and the center would be covered. The guard would be covered, so there was nobody to fill that gap. And with Danny right under center, he would almost take one or two steps back and they'd sack him, and we wouldn't really get out of it. We kept doing it. So there was there was all kind of issues in that game, but I think what it really did is let us know if we're going to win a national title, what that's going to take, and as great as our offense was from a scheme standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, maybe there's some things we need to tweak, like getting Danny in the shotgun, maybe some things we need to t- tweak in protection. So there were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, they were just learned the hard way. I wish we didn't have to do it that way, but I think it certainly kind of propelled us into what ended up happening in 96. Yeah, you could say you did learn some lessons there. Clearly, 96, a year we all remember extremely fondly. Um, you get in eight games before you go down with an injury. Um, was but, it a uh, real knee, knee injury this time? Yeah, the, was this <laughs> Dr. Spurrier injury again? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that one was very real. So to that end, uh, obviously, you're a part of uh, one of the greatest teams ever there in the beginning of the season. Obviously, you must be excited to be part of the championship experience, especially with the way the year ended before. But what was it like, though, to actively not be on the field there, yet still be a champion with your teammates there? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and there's two sides to it. It was wonderful to be a part of that team, and it was it was great to finally get over the hump and, and win a national title. But for me personally, it was really, really hard, essentially missing the back half of that. And, you know, I, I tore my ACL after the Georgia game, and I actually partially did it in the Georgia game. And it was really weird. I'd caught a couple balls, and right before half, I was running a route and actually didn't catch the ball on this play. I'm running a route, and I go to plant, and something – feels like it weird description but almost like it slides inside my knee like deep in your knee something slides which is not a feeling that you're not good (laughs) and it scared me and I thought whoa what in the hell was that and so I went in at halftime and I thought do I say something but you know it's kind of been a good rhythm catching some balls and thought I'm probably gonna catch some second I don't want to come out And so I kept playing in the second half, didn't say anything, and it felt okay. Well, I wake up the next day, 
and it's so stiff I can barely straighten it. feels terrible. Something's way wrong. By Monday's practice, it's feeling better, functional enough that I can run some routes and, and be in the normal flow of practice. You know, I don't feel right, but nobody knows. You know, they can't really tell. I just know it doesn't quite feel right. And I go to, and this is prior to the Vandy game, and I go to run just a curl route, and right as I'm at the top of the break, hooking up, stick my foot in the ground, and it goes. And it was such a painful feeling. I remember, you know, going straight to the ground, never had anything like that. I was actually scared to look at it because it, it hurt so bad. I thought, it's disfigured, like something's way bad. So you knew right away. I knew right away something's way bad, and and so I just kind of, you know, winced and held it, and then, I don't know, seemed like an eternity. Maybe it's 15 seconds or 20, I don't know. And then I look at it, and it's not disfigured, and I go to stand up, and, you know, they keep me down. Trainer comes out, and they sort of do their manual orthopedic tests, and I can kind of tell the look on their face isn't good, and they sort of look at each other, and... Dr. Indelicato, oh, oh, Pete Indelicato says and it might be his ACL. Well, I'm, I get pissed off and defensive. Hell no, it's not my ACL. And they take me in to have an MRI, and, of course, it's blown. Uh, and, you know, luckily I didn't tear anything else. Normally when you do an ACL, you get some meniscus, and you maybe get an MCL, and, you know, you kind of compound it. And I didn't. I just had an MCL or an ACL. Um, but it was really hard, man. It, you know, back then – um, that was a, a really significant injury that, you know, it wasn't a guarantee that you come back from, uh, at least maybe not as exactly what you were. Um, that really wasn't a thought that went through my head a bunch. I sort of very quickly thought, all right, you know, fight through it and get back to normal and work your butt off. But, um, being out of, you know, I guess I missed the Vandy game, the South Carolina game, the Florida State game the Bama game in the championship and then the national title game. And it, it really stunk because I was very much um, in the mix and in the rotation and, and part of it all. Definitely. Um, you know, Ike and Riedel were kind of the, the lead guys and, and Quez was right there with them. But early in the season, I was, I was every bit uh, in the mix. And so to miss that um, hurt. And it, it also affected me, you know, through the off season and, Leading into my junior year, there were certainly some lingering effects. But, um, you know, overall for the Gators, what a what an amazing year, what a fun year, an exciting year, and, and especially the way we did it to be able to beat Florida State after we had lost to them at Doak and, and beat them bad. You know, that was – Bad. Yeah, that was an awesome night. Oh, yeah. For the Gators, <laughs> not for me personally. <laughs> so you didn't celebrate? No, I did. I, it was the weirdest celebration maybe of all time because there's it, it was like a split personality. There's half of right. you that's excited and you're out with the guys and you're on Bourbon Street. You know, I was on crutches. Uh. Um, actually, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't on crutches, but I had a brace and my knee was still really stiff and it was hard stepping down off a curb. So, you know, imagine Bourbon Street. You've had a few, you know, everybody's laid out like they are. It's dirty as can be and you're you're, you're just trying to make sure you don't fall in the – in the muddy water um, <laughs> outside of Patty O'Brien's or something. Yeah. And so, you know, that part personally was hard. Everybody's yeah. super excited and, you know, you're, you're disappointed that you couldn't feel what they felt being in the game and making plays. But um, celebrating was fun. I don't think anybody slept that night. I, I remember getting back to the hotel at about, 
I don't know, 6.30. It was almost light. And the plane the next morning flew out pretty early. So there was really no sleep in time. And so we never went to bed. We just kind of went to the room and loaded up our stuff and then hopped on the plane. And I think by the time we got back to Gainesville and I got back to, to the apartment, I, I might have slept for 36 hours straight. But <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a fun night for all Gators. Well, you talked about your, your knee issues lingering into 97. Um, and, and you start to heal up and you become more of a part of that offense in 97 but let's talk about that senior year oh yeah man that historical senior year in 98 70 catches the then sec and still uf single season record 1357 yards 10 scores even through for two (laughs) and you just break out for this record-breaking season what do you attribute that to oh good fortune you know i think um Uh, You know, I was fully over the knee injury. I had healed by halfway through my junior year. I was feeling normal again. So I'd had a full off season, not to rehab, but to to work, you know, to run routes and to work with QBs and work on getting more physical and just all the things you do in an off season, all the things, you know, everybody does. Um, That certainly had an effect. Um, I think my relationship with the quarterbacks, I spent lots of time with all of them. Um, you know, cause it was Doug, it was Jesse. Did you prefer one over the other? Not really. No, no. I mean, I loved them both. I, I thought they, in some ways were both similar, you know, there were, there were differences, but, um, you know, the way I always viewed it was my job is to make them comfortable. My job is to get open no matter what's called and give them a place to go with the ball and make a play for them. And, and I, you know, you tell them all the time, even if and and there weren't lots of bad throws. But if there was, I'd, I my my response was always good throw, man. Keep it coming. Um, where wherever they put it, I'm going to get it. And um, you know, obviously, to have a year like that, you need some things to line up. You know, you're you, you got to get protection. Your play callers got to call some good plays. Um, you got to make the plays when they're there. You can't leave many on the field. You know, that's one of the things that. I did take a lot of pride in um, and really how I evaluated myself is what did you do with the opportunities given? And if you were thrown at twice, you know, did you make the play twice and do what you were supposed to? And if the answer is yes, then you had a good game. But if you had five catches for 100 yards, but they threw you 15 and you dropped three and ran the wrong route four times, then you actually had a really bad night despite the 100 yard game. Right, that right. senior year, there, there weren't many missed opportunities, and you know I always took pride in that, and um, it, it was just it was a blast. It, it was what you kind of dream of when you go to a place like Florida is maybe being fortunate enough to to win a bunch of games and be on great teams, and and maybe even have a uh, some individual success like that. Um, you know, f- the funny thing before the year, I remember writing some goals down. And I don't remember all of them, but but I know being first team All SEC was one. I know seventy catches. Actually, that was the exact number. Seventy catches <laughs> was one. Yeah. And being a thousand yard receiver, you know, we had had a couple of those. Chris Chris let it off in ninety five. Redell in ninety six. Quez hit a thousand in ninety seven. And so I wanted to hit that mark and did. Um, so it was just, it was, it was a blast. It was a great year. Um, you know, the, the downside to that year is we lose to Tennessee at Tennessee and overtime and that team ends up winning the national title and we have seven turnovers up there. And I think if we play them 
five times. We beat them four, but it was their night. Did you feel and like you took them lightly because Peyton wasn't there anymore? Did you just assume it was going to be I, easier without him? You know, it's a, it's a logical thought. I don't think we did, at least not consciously. It's still Tennessee. It's in Neyland. I mean, how in the world? That was T. Martin, That right? was T. Yeah. Martin's undefeated T. team. Then. That's yeah. right. It was yeah. T. Martin, you know, and they had Jamal Lewis. Jamal, great uh, running back. Running yeah. back. i tell you what they had because I played with them in Denver. They had an absolutely phenomenal defense. You know, Al Wilson was their middle linebacker. And oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Raynaud yes. Thompson was another linebacker, and they had um, they had a bunch of DBs. Deion Grant was one of them. Um, they had a really good corner. I'm blanking on his name, but he was a second round pick of the Cowboys. And so they were they were loaded up like always. What they didn't have was Peyton. They still had Peerless Price, but they didn't quite have the <laughs> slew of receivers. You know, when it was Marcus yeah. Nash and Joey Kent and um, all those guys. So I don't think we took them lightly. I we turned the ball over seven times, which you can't do. Fair. And two of those were inside the five-yard line. We were going in, and, and it still took them overtime and a missed field goal on our part to win. So that one kind of haunts me forever, especially because they play it on ESPN Classic all the time as a, <laughs> as a good game in Tennessee. Well, that's their yeah, highlight. Yeah, they, don't, exactly. they, they don't have a lot of highlights against Florida. That's, that's the one they no, can hang they their head on. <laughs> the one and that's the year they win the national title so it's a big one for them but um you know we ended up four or five in the country and it was a great year you know by uh by any standards but the gator standards were very very high at that time and so it was i think sort of viewed as not our best year but as the years have gone by coach burrier will actually admit now because he didn't back then he he we all kind of felt like gosh we're you know, we're terrible. We're losers. We went 10 and two and then finished fifth in the country. But now he will acknowledge that, you know, whether it's the 01 team or the 98 team or even the 97 team, uh, like those, those teams were, were exceptional. They, they weren't quite the SEC champs or, or the national champs, but they were top five teams with lots of good players and, and did some really good stuff. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of that year for lots of reasons. I would love to experience that level of losing sometime real soon. <laughs> yeah, we would, we would take it now. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk accolades a little bit. You're um, selected first team All-SEC that year, third team All-American, finalist for the Blitnikoff. That had to be pretty awesome. Wow. That was cool. I may have my years tangled up, but at that time, the award was relatively new. I think yes. I think his first year was in '95, and I think Terry Glenn from Ohio State won it. And then in '96, Redell was a finalist. Here was the cool part: we we didn't have a finalist in '95, but Redell was a finalist in '96. Quez was a finalist in '97. I was in '98, so it was kind of cool. None of us won it, um, but but Florida had a finalist for for that award. Represent? It was, yeah, it was a it was a newer <laughs> award and. Um, you know, it was one of those things you don't really know about it until late in the year. I, I remember maybe our SID bringing it to my attention, you know, pretty late in the year, somewhere around the Vandy game, maybe South Carolina game. So we're, we're winding down and they sort of tell you in passing, Hey, you know, you're a, you're a finalist or whatever you're in the mix and, Oh, you know, great. Who are some of the other names? And, you know, it was a good year. Peter Warwick was up for it. David Boston at Ohio State was up for it. Tory Holt good uh, players. was in the mix. 
Um, Troy Edwards is actually who won it. He just had ridiculous statistics from La Tech. But he did, like 140 receptions, almost 2,000 yards, something like that. Yeah, exactly. It was insane. And I remember the game that set him off was Nebraska. He had over 300 yards against Nebraska and like 17 catches. It was, I remember watching it on TV. It was crazy. Um, so he won it, but anyways, that that was that was kind of cool. Didn't win it, but um, being mentioned in that crowd was certainly an honor. Well, let's do a deep dive. What you did accomplish, though, you had two two hundred plus yard games that season: two hundred and thirteen versus Bama, two twenty two versus the Cox. That that's third yep. and fifth most in a single game to this day. Is there a particular play in one of those games that stands out to you as uh, being a, a better memory than others, or a broken tackle or a long run? How, did, how in the world did you get 435 yards in two games in a season? <laughs> yeah, again, I think, you know, it's just kind of a combination of a lot of things, good fortune. Um, I, I remember I remember the Alabama game, which is the first one, and, and you know, when, when you're having games like that and your yards get that high – you know you're having a big game, but but you sort of lose all track of it. You, you don't really know where you are statistically. You're just playing the game. You know, if you catch one or two balls, you remember those very well. But if you catch nine or you catch 13 and, and it's a bunch of different routes and you know some of them are big plays, some of them are intermediate, like you kind of lose track of it. You don't really know where you are until after somebody tells you. But early – Early in the Bama game, I'll never forget, it was either the first or second play, Jesse's in at quarterback, and they throw me a curl route, and it was a little bit high, it goes off my fingertips, they may not call it a drop, I'd call it a drop, it, that, it, that, my standard was that was a drop, you know, I got my hand on it, it went off my fingertips, and then the next play, they hand it to Terry off the right side, and I get a holding penalty, I thought it was a BS call, but I get a holding penalty. So Spurrier's furious because two back-to-back plays, I, you know, I, they're not very good on me. And they pull me out for a play. I'm pissed off. And they run a play or two. I think we get a first down. And he calls me back over and he says, what do you like? What do you want? <laughs> and I said, and I was pissed off because he pulled me off. And, and I had two plays that weren't very good. So I'm itching to get back. And I said, throw me a damn go route. And Doug's in, throws me a, a, a wonderful ball, and uh, we hit a go route for, I don't know, 60-some yards, and I, I get tackled, I don't know, on the eight or the nine or something like that. And that kind of got it back going. And then from then on, we got in a great rhythm, and it was all flowing. But the beginning of that game wasn't very good, the, you know, the first two plays. Um, and then the South Carolina game, cool part about that one, it was my last home game at Florida – it was homecoming, and, you know, you just couldn't really script it any better. But here's, here's a funny story. I'm going to bring it full circle back to your, your, uh, your Ricky Pearsall 1,000-yard situation. Okay. So somewhere in the third quarter, about halfway, I, I, I have 13 catches, and whatever I ended up with, 220-some yards, two touchdowns, and – we still have a quarter and a half to go. The record, the all-time record for catches was 15 for Carlos Alvarez. And at the time, I think Taylor Jacobs got it. But at the time, Carlos Alvarez's record was 237 of yards. And it, that was at an away game. He didn't have that in the swamp. Nobody had more than 220, 
whatever I had in the swamp, but Carlos had more away from the swamp. Well, nobody knows records better than <laughs> Steve Spurrier. He knows them all, and he knows them in his head. <laughs> and they pull me out. And I didn't know where in the world I was at the time, but as the third quarter's wrapping up, SID comes over and he says, hey, you're at 13 catches for whatever yards. So they come to me and tell me that, and, you know, it's it's the fourth, we're way up, and we're starting to get some of the backups in, and I, I just kind of shrugged, and I thought, well, there's no way I'm walking up to him right now and saying, Coach, will you put me in and let me get a couple catches, and if I just get a couple catches, I'm sure I'll get over the yards. It just felt way too selfish. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, I know he knows this. <laughs> I, he knows records like the back of his hand. If it's receiver, running back, quarterback, he knows them. And he didn't put me in. So for whatever reason, that was the decision he made. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, I certainly can't complain about a, a, a big day like that, 13 catches or whatever it was, 220-some yards, a couple In two and a half quarters, you said that was? That's, that's ridiculous. It, well, <laughs> and I guess it would have been about three okay. and a half um, because we were halfway. Through. Well, you yeah, no. Third quarter? Yeah. Two yeah. and a half. Exactly. <laughs> two and a half. Um, and the cool part, my last catch in the swamp, Doug throws me a little fade um, headed towards the east east corner of the south end zone, and that was my last catch in the swamp. It was a touchdown and, and my last catch of, of that day. Um, so that was – it was a cool way to end. It was homecoming, and, you know, I, I wouldn't have – I wouldn't have ever thought it would end like that or script it like that, that you actually have your best statistical day um, – on your final game in the swamp. That was pretty cool. Is there an award or an achievement from your time at UF that you're most proud of? Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about that question. I think one of the things I am proud of is, um, you know, in some ways what, what happened at UF for me was, was storybook. And in other ways, and I'm sure some of the other receivers would say this too, in other ways it was challenging. Um, you know, I kind of thought coming in what happened my senior year would happen two or three years. And then you get there and you realize the competition is what it is. And, you know, you're going to fight and work your way up and battle. Um, you know, I tore the ACL as a sophomore, have to come back from that. And so I think if there's anything I'm, I'm proud of is that I, I was able to do well um, in as competitive an environment as there was in the country, as far as a receiver room and the talent that you're around, I was on great teams, um, and, and had success in that environment. And, you know, there were ups and there were downs and you have to navigate all of that. You know, you got to deal with the downs and you got to manage the ups and not get too high or full of yourself. And I, I think just kind of managing that road, um, is is something I, I take more pride in than you know and in any type of individual award or even a team award for that matter I think all of those things are just byproducts of battling and competing and doing it right and showing up every day and and trying to be as good as you can be I don't know Travis that all sounds good but if I were you I'd have 1357 tattooed on my forehead <laughs> <laughs> All those guys, Jabbar, Chad Jackson, uh, yeah, Taylor Jacobs, Redell, Ike, 
Not one of them got more yards in one year than you. And there are guys who played more games than you and didn't even get there, too. You know. That- <laughs> well, now, you know what? I am proud of that, and I'm glad you said that because what I, I'm, I'm going I'm to say this. I don't normally say this, but that 1357 was done in 11 games. Awesome. Now, now, now they get 12 regular season. The SEC title game counts statistically. It did not used to. The bowl game counts statistically. It did not used to. And if you get any playoff games, that counts statistically. So I had to average 124 a game to to hit that number. And and other guys, you know, it was an SEC record. It's not anymore. There's, I don't know, four, five, six guys that have gotten it. But I think all of them, other than maybe Josh Reed, who was the original guy that broke it, LSU guy, was a heck of a player, they all had more games. That's right. And so, you know, it it required, kind of like I was saying earlier, you just had to be consistent. You had to do the most with your opportunities. You just, you couldn't leave it out there. Um, You know, whether that was a drop ball or you ran a bad route, you really had to capitalize on your chances when you got them. Um, and so I am proud of that, you know, you and be. I, you're I, like I, a pioneer. That's like OJ Simpson's 2000 yards in the 14 <laughs> games and Joe Namus 4,000 yards in the 12 games. Those hold up better than when they're all diluted with all the extra stuff that matters. <laughs> well, it does. And I think what's surprising is I kind of thought, you know, this will stand for a little while and then they'll break it, you know, and what has transpired with, Florida and Florida's offenses has been surprising. You know, all of us, I'm sure Redell would say this or any other receiver you guys have talked to that we, we just all assumed that there's, uh, this is always how it's going to be. We're always going to throw it all over the place. We're always going to have the top guys. We'll, we'll always have a thousand yard receiver. And at some point somebody will, will get this. And then, you know, Camelot doesn't go on forever and offenses change. And so that has been surprising to me that it's held up as long as it did. And I think because of that, I do appreciate it more now and and maybe appreciate the fact that that was pretty good. It it was pretty good at the time. You know, it's just what you do and it's what you expect. And there's been great guys before you and there's good guys behind you and they're all doing good things too. And this is just kind of what we do at Florida and, yeah, it's a record, but, you know, there's lots of records around here. You, you sort of skate over it because you're always in the moment, and then you're on to the next thing. But when you when you get way down the road and you, you grow up a little bit and you mature and some time passes and you look back and you think, wow, you know, I, 124 yards average in a game, that's a lot. And, and you have to – you got to do some pretty good stuff to do that. And even more importantly than that, you got to have some really good guys throwing it to you. And you got to have offensive line blocking. You got to have somebody calling good plays, and um, you know all, all of those records. A, a receiver's a satellite guy. You know you're 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 so dependent on other people doing their job. Quarterback doing his job really well. Offensive line doing their job really well. Backs protecting. Um, you know, coaches calling the right play that. Uh, it aggravates me sometimes when receivers carry on when they do stuff like, you know, they, they created that all on their own. It, it's a byproduct of lots of guys doing their job. And, um, you know, that's that's fun. I don't know that quarterbacks or offensive linemen share in receiver records 
like offensive linemen do with running back records. Um, when I was in Denver, I, I played with Terrell Davis, so he's a 2,000-yard back. That's a legit one. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but TD was a hell of a back, and when he hit that 2,000, the offensive line took such pride in that, you know, that they were such a part of that. Um, and I don't know that when receivers set marks, I don't know that, you know, quarterbacks and O-lines feel a part of that, but they, but they should because they have such a big role in it. You mentioned your time in Denver and teammate Hall of Famer, 2,000-yard rusher Terrell Davis. So let's talk about that. You're drafted in the third round by the Broncos. Um, exciting time to be there. Um, yeah. Just missed John Elway, uh, but uh, still a lot of champions on the team. Um, is that where you figured to go coming off such a ridiculous season here at UF? Did you think you might have a shot to go higher than the third round? And what are your experiences and memories of uh, your time in the Mile High City? It was it was a great experience. Um, coming out, there were two teams that I thought absolutely would not draft me, and Denver was one of them. San Francisco was the other. And the reason was they they were kind of the really big receiver model. They had big guys. and McCaffrey just, and Smith. Yeah, exactly. McCaffrey and Rod, and they had um, a, a couple other guys at the time. They were really, really big. They liked using tight ends. They still had Shannon Sharp and um, a couple other good tight ends. I just didn't think that was the fit, and San Francisco was very similar. You know, they had Terrell Owens and J.J. Stokes, and Jerry was still there. And anyways, those were the two teams I thought, no way. Um, going into the draft, I had heard anywhere from second round to the fourth round, but I also knew, you know, prototypically, size-wise, I'm certainly not what they're looking for. And so... Um, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, they're saying second to the fourth round. You know, I had I had a good senior bowl, and I tested well, and workouts went good. And so all of those things were a positive, but the height thing, you know, certainly wasn't prototypical. So second to fourth round, I, I thought, you know, sounds, sounds great. I, I think my mindset was just I just want to get there and, and get playing and, and, and just give me a shot. Let me get there. Um, so I get drafted by Denver and, you know, I'm kind of stunned when it happens. They start calling early in the third and um, ended up drafting me in, in the later, later portion of the third. And, um, you know, again, was kind of, kind of shocked that that's who it was. And, you know, their, their story to me was once I got there and, you know, you start asking questions and learn about the draft process was they were just, you know, coming off their second Super Bowl and kind of taking best available. And in their mind, that's that was the route that they went. And I get there, and as you guys mentioned, Elway had just retired, which was too bad. It would have been really special to be able to get a year or two with him. And he was still around a, a little bit, you know, so I certainly met him and chatted him up some, but um, he, he had moved on. But everything else was really still there, you know, Um Rod and Ed were still there. TD was still there. Howard Griffith, our fullback, was still there. Shannon Sharp was still there. The defensive line was still there. Romanowski and um, John Mobley and Glenn Cadrez and Atwater and all, all, everybody was still there. But TD got hurt that season early, TD though, right? Got that's, hurt. that's when they exactly. started bringing in all those unnamed running backs all right, those years. Right. So Orlandis Gary was one of them. He was a Georgia guy right. in my class. And um, you know, TD hurt his knee in the Jets game. It was maybe the fourth or fifth week. Um, and so that, you know, we ended up going whatever it was, six and 10 that season. And 
um, you know, my time there was was great. I think lots of guys, um, you know, look at their NFL career if it's not as long as they would like or you don't get to a Super Bowl or you don't make some Pro Bowls. That You know, you kind of look at it as, well, I wish it would have been more, and I can certainly say that. You know, I wish it would have been longer. I wish it would have been more. I wish it would have been able to – get into a situation where I maybe could have had the, the, the same production at that level as I did in college. But um, it, it was a special experience nonetheless. I got drafted. I played in whatever it was, 50-some, 60 games, and um, played in the playoffs. You know, we lost in 2000 to the Ravens. That ended up winning the Super Bowl. They beat us beat, beat us in the wild card. Um, that was a great team. It was a fun experience. I played with a lot of great players, you know, guys that were – all pros and pro bowlers and some Hall of Famers, you know, TD and, and Shannon Sharp and um, Atwater was a pro bowler. And so being around them and that culture, um, being around Coach Shanahan and Pat Bowling as the owner, you know, all of those things were, were special. Um, I wish it could have been longer like lots of NFL guys do. Um, but I certainly can't complain because there's lots of great college players that were better than me that that never got to play one day in the NFL. So it was, it was a great experience. And Chris Doring was there with you for a season, right? In Denver? Chris was, Chris was, which was kind of fun and, um, and, and pretty unique when, when I went out there, you know, you're trying to figure it out and, you know, being a Gainesville kid and Doring was the same thing. Uh-huh. When I went out to Denver, that was really the first time I had ever, you know, moved away. I'd grown up in Gainesville and, and, and played here at Florida. And um, so going out to Denver, it was all new for me. And, you know, it didn't look anything like Gainesville. And <laughs> having Chris there um, was fun. You know, we, we, we have a lot of fun memories together being out there. Um, lots of them just funny, quirky, day-to-day kind of stuff. And, um, and our familiarity with each other and you know, encouragement of each other. And, um, he, he obviously was, was three years ahead of me. And so, um, it was fun having him out there for sure. After those years in Denver, and then I know you had a a little short stint there in Atlanta, you moved on to the arena league, um, had some, some pretty big success there, rookie of the year. And you scored 45 touchdowns, like in three years, I think. How was that? Was that, how fun was that? Was that little, I'm sure it was different, but was it fun? It was a lot of fun. Have you guys ever been to an arena football game? No. I actually used to set them up. Um, but it's pretty cool. It, it's it's amazing. It is. The smaller field and, and everything that goes with it. It's, it uh, is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the quick rundown on how I end up in the arena league is after my little stint in Atlanta, you know, I'm four or five years in, and you kind of hit that point where your salary is going up, and if you're not one of the core pieces of a team, you, you, you sort of get siphoned out. And they're they're looking to sign the younger younger rookies that they can pay half of what they're paying you, and um, and so the theory was I need to go be productive again. I need to you know go play really well, whether that was the Arena League or Canada, and then see if we can get back to the NFL. And so I didn't know much at all about the Arena League. They had just signed a TV deal with NBC. And so there was an influx of some money and they were paying guys more and it felt like, all right, you know, this is kind of on the rise and and the exposure is going to be different. It's going to be on NBC, blah, blah, blah. And I signed with the Orlando team. Jay Gruden is the quarterback and is sort of a, a, is sort of a coach as well. He's kind of a player coach. It was kind of a, a pretty cool thing. 
Um, and Jay obviously being John's brother, and then we all know what Jay ended up becoming as an NFL coach. But that was kind of cool and attractive to me. And so I, I signed with them. And, you know, we practiced outdoors on grass. And they lined the field, you know, small like an arena field. So an arena field's 50 yards long and only 25 yards wide. So it's not it's not half of a normal field. It's a quarter when, when you really break it down. Yep. It's like playing in your living room. You got the wall on the outside. So the, the first time, the first time we go to play a game, I'd never even seen the field in, in person. I'd never been on a field with the wall on the turf. I had no idea what to expect, and it was incredibly fun. You take an incredible beating playing because there's not much of a running game. Right. And what I did, High I was scoring an games. <laughs> exactly. It's all throwing. And so I'd catch, you know, six, seven, eight, nine balls a game. But then I also did all the returns. So you're probably catching or touching the ball 15, 16. You're almost like a running back in, in the amount of touches that you have. And you're either hitting the turf, which is like landing on concrete, or you're running into a wall. So there's there's no soft grass. There's no slide out of bounds. And I remember about four or five games in thinking, I have never been this beat up in my <laughs> life at any level. But it was a ton of fun. Um, the games are exciting. And uh, I, I, I loved it. After, after each year, I guess I got three years, just shy of three years. After each year, we'd get talking to the NFL teams. And, um, you know, there were always a handful that were interested. And I won't bore you with all the stories. But three or four times, we, we literally were a hair away from signing and feeling like we were in a good situation. And for whatever reason, you know, it just kept not panning out. And, um, you know, you kind of get to a point where you got to decide, do I, do I keep chasing this? You know, I was 30 years old at the time. Do you keep chasing this hard or do you kind of shift into another phase of life and ultimately decided to, to shift? But I, I always said after the arena experience that every skill guy receiver should have to play arena football for one year because getting used to the angles and the dimensions and the tight space and the the strange physicality that you wouldn't expect of that game would make you a significantly better player when you go back to normal football. It was it's such like being a, in the red zone every play with that small exactly, field, essentially. <laughs> and the red zone shrunk, shrunk right. even more so. Um, so it was really unique, and and I had a lot of fun, and was around some some pretty unique guys, and uh, you know, Jay Jay Gruden was was certainly one of them. Well, another way you likely had some fun, uh, like friend of the show, Zach Sedalis, it sounds like you got a bit of the acting bug. We understand <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to actually play uh, Mark Wahlberg's stunt double in, in Invincible in 2006. So uh, was this because of your likeness to uh, Marky Mark or to, to Vince Papali? And how did this come together? <laughs> <laughs> well, funny story that, that actually um, originated in the Arena League. So when they decided to make the movie Invincible based on Vince Papali, who if you guys were like me at the time, I had no earthly idea who that was or what he had done. I, I didn't know the story at all. And there was a guy named Pat O'Hara who worked for a company called Real Sports Solutions. And what Real Sports Solutions did was they, they were a, a contracted company when, I guess, big studios would make sports movies. They would hire Real Sports to choreograph and hire athletes and they would choreograph the scenes for the movie because the 
the big studios had no earthly idea how to make the sports look real. Sure. And so Pat O'Hara had been a backup quarterback. I'm going way back on you to Todd Marinovich at USC in the late eighties. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and then Pat was playing in the arena league and he, I guess, retired after my rookie year and started working for real sports. So when they casted Wahlberg, the way real sports does it is if it's a, a pro football movie, they cast football guys that have at least some level of pro experience, NFL, Canadian League, arena, something, because they want it to be realistic. High school movie, they go get ex-high school athletes. And so Pat, you know, he calls me and he's telling me about this movie. And I have no idea what he's even talking about. He, he's telling me about this movie and they've, um, they've casted Mark Wahlberg. I don't know anything about the company he works for. I got no idea. I'm thinking, why in the hell are you telling me this? What what do I have to do with it? <laughs> and he says, look, man, you know, there aren't many guys, you know, that are, you know, Mark's relative size that played pro football. And so you were the first guy I thought of. And so he gives me the rundown. Here's the story. Here's who Vince Papali is. And he says, Trav, look, I got to tell you, this, this isn't a glamorous role. It's, it's not come in and, and catch a bunch of touchdowns. He's like, you're a special teams crash test dummy, and it'll be physical. Like, shooting these scenes is going to be physical. And I said, you know what? Sounds, it can't be worse than Nebraska, right? Sounds like crazy experience. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I'll take a shot. So we go up to Philadelphia for, I don't know what it was, maybe 10 weeks of shooting. Um, there were a couple little small breaks in there. And uh, lived in Rittenhouse Square, which is kind of downtown Philly, and we shot at, um, at Penn Stadium, um, which is right there where the Eagles used to play way, way, way back in the day. And it was a crazy experience, you know. was around Mark uh, a bunch. Um, on a daily basis, you know, and there was a weekend where it was kind of just me, him and his buddies. And we were Ooh. running routes and trying to do things that, um, got him somewhat comfortable with all of that. So that was fun, man. He, he was a great guy. He was low key and, you know, didn't play the big time Hollywood guy. You lived a real entourage probably. experience with him then. Tell, tell us uh, about well, Vinny Chase, the, the real deal. The funny part. <laughs> that's the funny part is a lot of those guys that I think, ended up being, you know, the entourage characters were all there. And it was all his goofball buddies, you know. You met the real friends. turtle. Yeah. And and um and he was telling us about that at the time when he was shooting Invincible. He was also shooting The Departed. So he was going back and forth from Philly to New York. If you guys remember that movie The Departed with yep. Jack oh, yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. And Great DiCaprio. movie. Right. So he had a little bit of a small role in that movie. So he's going back and forth shooting those. And then he was telling us about Entourage, this series that he was putting together. And it was loosely based on kind of his crew. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching his crew there with us. And they're, they're the biggest bunch of just fun goofballs. You know, don't don't try to big time Hollywood it constantly playing practical jokes on each other and and obviously nobody plays them on mark because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them but <laughs> but mark is always instigating with them and so it, it was fun man you know i certainly don't claim to be tight with them it was a a 10-week period long ago but during those 10 weeks we, we did spend a lot of time with them and got to know them pretty good and um it, it was fun for sure 
I, I read a little bit about that, the making of that, and it sounded like you took quite a beating. Yeah, <laughs> quite a beating, quite a beating. So much, so much so that um, there were times where I thought, "What in the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this?" Um, you know, acting's I, I, hard. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't chasing a stunt double career. I wasn't trying to get into acting. Um, it was just kind of fun of experience and, you know, they pay you well while you're doing it, but, but it's a per gig kind of thing. Um, and so I just kept telling myself there's an end to it. There was a day, I'll tell you guys this real quick. There was a day where we're shooting this Oklahoma drill and the, the deal was you had two blockers and then Vince is sort of running the ball and he gets absolutely smashed by the linebacker. And so the whole scene is choreographed. We're not playing it for real. So I have to go full speed into this linebacker who's unblocked. There's probably about, I don't know, somewhere between five, seven yards between us. So that's enough space where he's going to generate some speed. But on contact, I have to let him just smash me. I can't, I can't drop my shoulder. I can't spin off of him. I can't sidestep. I can't do anything but just eat this tackle. <laughs> and we do it. We do it four or five times, and you know linebackers got to come hard, full speed, and I'm I'm getting real real frustrated <laughs> because the goofball movie guy who's up on a dadgum ladder shooting down is getting up and down off the ladder after every shoot, and he it, it's not the perfect angle. And guys, we get to what felt like the thirty fifth shoot. Wow. It was probably somewhere between 12 and 15. We had done this a bunch. And I'm getting so damn mad. And I look at Mark, and he's just kind of shaking his head. Obviously, he's not doing this part of it, right? <laughs> and I, I look at him, and in, in you know some choice words, I just said, man, you need to tell that guy, I got about one or two more of these, and this thing, <laughs> oh, I hope he's got what he needs. And Mark just shakes his head and he kind of, you know, goes and says something. And, and we did one or two more and then that was it. And and they didn't even use the damn scene in the movie. Oh, oh no. Oh, yeah. Cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. Cutting room floor. So, so that, that, was, that was me. I was just a crash test dummy, man. There was nothing glamorous about it, I can assure you. Wow. Um, so you settled back down in Gainesville. Um, why don't you tell Gator Nation what you've been up to since your, your Hollywood days, since your playing days, and, <laughs> and what, what are you up to these days? Yeah, so now I'm, I'm busy with work stuff and kids stuff. I, I jumped in the family business, McGriff Williams Insurance, and um, have been doing that for a good while now. And we, we got a great group over there, and it's, it's all different lines of insurance. So we got an employee benefits division and a commercial division and a, a personal lines division and um, it really wasn't something I ever thought I would get into, you know, certainly when I was playing ball, it was never a thought. And then even right out of playing ball, it, it wasn't an immediate thought, but, um, as, as some time went on, it, it made sense and it's been a great fit and, um, I enjoy it. We got a great crew over there. And then the other thing I'm doing is, uh, coaching some high school ball. My son is a sophomore at, at Newberry high school and, I, um, future Gator. Uh, well, we'll see, you know, he's young, he's a sophomore and, um, he loves it. He, um, he's had that. We just wrapped up his sophomore year and he's kind of doing what I did playing quarterback and playing defense and, 
um, you know, could certainly end up being a receiver, but he's he's doing a really good job of playing those spots right now. And so I'm coaching him and his buddies, and it's it's a lot of fun. We got a good crew over there, and I'm enjoying that. And you know, it it takes a lot of time and um, commitment and all that, but it's it's fun, kind of reliving high school again from a completely different perspective it's uh it's a unique experience being on the coaching side of things all right travis uh we usually end the show in a bit and uh we're gonna have you do a mount rushmore uh so you gotta give us four four on a mount rushmore mount rushmore of uf football family legacies Ooh. oh wow who's on that mount rushmore obviously he's allowed to include the mcgriff family here absolutely oh man well I'm taking the easy road here, but let's let's put the Jacksons on there. Okay. Um, well deserved. I, I hate to I hate to use our family, but I guess I guess we'll do that. It's deserving. Yep, so yeah. yeah, well deserved. So we'll do that. I mean, we 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 have had a bunch. Um, I think you got to throw the Gaffneys on there. Oh They've yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, let me think a minute. Who else? Sid, while he's thinking, what was that you referenced? Um, Travis's dad in one of our shows. Yeah, uh, actually, when we were looking over um, the greatest catches, talk about our hopefully future friend of the show. That's right. Um, that amazing catch he had earlier in the season. Uh, I did some half-assed internet research, and it looked like um, your dad was involved in one of the greatest Gator catches of his era. Yeah. Um, maybe you should tell us about it. You're probably more familiar with it than I am. Do you know what I'm referring to? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So ju- his junior year, they're playing Georgia, and I don't remember the final the final ended up being i don't know maybe like 11 10 or something like that but florida's down they need a touchdown and he catches the ball in the end zone um not really like a post route kind of a a deep in route he's sort of a yard or two deep in the end zone sort of coming over the middle has to has to go pretty high up to get it gets hit in the air um and then that was what won it for him so that was in in gator lore certainly a big catch but here's here's the unique stat. So my dad was a walk on at Florida and was the first walk on who ever became first team All SEC. Very cool. And I think <laughs> I think we are still the only father and son duo in the history of UF that was both first team All SEC at any position, but we also played the same position. So that's pretty unique. And then the second piece of that is other than the Mannings I don't know that anybody else in the SEC has a father-son first team all SEC that was true I know that was true six seven eight years ago I don't know if it still is but but that was kind of a cool thing some somebody brought to my attention once that I thought you know that's that's kind of a cool deal. Take that, Jackson family. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to end the show. Tell you that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> well, until Miles Graham gets to UF, right? That's right. Well, hey, there there may be another one. There yeah. may be another one. That that kid's a heck of a player. That that kid is a really good player. Obviously, Ernest was a great player as well. Um, hopefully, he can help us get over the hump. I, I've seen him a little bit. He's really good. All right, Travis, man, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do our show. It's, it's been an absolute honor and a blast to, to hear your stories and, and reminisce. And, and thank you once again for taking the time to do it. Now, you got it. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm sorry it ran so long. You guys 
sometimes got to just tell me shut up no, when I get on these it, old. It ran long because you're giving us good stuff, man. We don't want it to stop. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> but but I tell you what, I, I do want to thank you guys because what's cool about what you do, like what's fun, and I think it's why you get such good guests. And the ones that I've listened to, um, I always enjoy them. Is you guys talk about the stuff? It's the inside stuff. It's the deeper stuff. It's what matters. It's what's kind of, you know, hidden in between what the general public knows. And I think that's what ex players enjoy talking about. You know, not necessarily the current team, or not even necessarily, you know, uh, yeah, we beat so and so fifty-two to six. You guys get into the deeper stuff, and that makes it fun. And so, thank you guys for for doing what you do and circling back with all of us has been oh <laughs> well i appreciate those words man and yeah that means a lot that means a lot yeah and <laughs> yeah that's what we're trying to do so it's it's awesome to hear that that's the whole point of us yeah you guys are doing a great job of it so thank you thank you so much my goodness gentlemen the receiver room that we bring on this show is just ridiculous we got Doring with the most touchdowns uh now we we got mcgriff with the most receiving yards we're gonna have every single gator record holder we got we got hall of gator hall of famers like who has a better receiving room than the friends of the all for the gators podcast <laughs> hey you said it right i said it right well come on with with, with you know, <laughs> such precision in the receiver room i gotta get the, the description down so thank you there you go, there you <laughs> i've been practicing i've been practicing <laughs> all right guys time for our two bits who wants to go first uh i actually really enjoyed his story about the entourage getting uh, kind of like uh behind the curtain hanging out with the Wahlbergs. uh that was really neat how he fell into that you know it's amazing how like one situation leads you to the next how just being in the arena leagues it got the guy's attention kind of fit the body type gets to hang out with the movie star the movie star is flying from city to city to film two movies now 15 years removed both remembered fondly and Pretty cool. Uh, that that's that's like a, a nice like cherry on the Sunday to his football career that he's forever immortalized in a movie. That and hats off to friend of the show Travis McGriff and his big acting role. Maybe he's got some future stuff down the road for that. I enjoyed that right. story. Um, a story I enjoyed uh, was uh, Travis's freshman year after a couple games and he's had several catches and Coach Spurrier follows him into the cafeteria or <laughs> Doctor Spurrier. Paging Dr. Spurrier. Hey, Travis, your ankle's pretty hurt, huh? <laughs> your ankle bothering you? <laughs> your ankle's bothering you? Sends him to the team doctor. Like, I don't even, should we even be talking about this? I don't know. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations is over. I think that's what Travis was talking about with us at the uh, the Hayes in the Park. Yeah, he gets <laughs> is this going to cost Travis some playing opportunity here? Are we going to get him in trouble with the NCAA? <laughs> and he gets a medical red shirt. And then goes on to have an amazing Gator career after that. But that that was just a great story that I think he revealed it here for the first time. I didn't see that anywhere online. And I think he did mention that he was going to give us the inside info. So this may be breaking news right here. (laughs) The kind of insight you find only here on the All for the Gators podcast. I gave you a meatball there, Sid. Beautiful. Oh, too easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad you covered that one because that one had to be mentioned. And I was between two and that was one of them. So thank you. The other one that I will mention is the, the record that he set in 11 games. I thought that was, I know he said he doesn't like to kind of talk about his stats and toot his own horn, but he's 100% right. Back then, none of those postseason games mattered. They didn't count towards the stats, so no bowl game. You know, Nowadays, where there's a bunch of extra games a lot of times, it would be interesting. I know, I think, I think John, you said that 
the the SEC record has been broken several times. Um, a ton of times for yeah. that. But I'd be curious how many of those, if you went back to look at those and stopped it at eleven games, if they would have still broken it. Oh, so, that's a good question. I just think, you know, it's he's justified, you know, to talk about that. That that does that means something, right? Eleven games is eleven games. That's a lot less than what a lot of guys now are getting an opportunity to, to set, you know, yardage record. So he deserves it. Glad it's still holding up for him at at least in the UF record books. But that was that was pretty cool. I'm just glad he acknowledged that. Very awesome. Great two bits, guys. Great two bits. Once again, great show. Uh, another Gator legend, Gator great, Gainesville royalty, the McGriff family, Travis McGriff. I love how he brought the the fact at the end, only father and son to be first team all SEC. Quite a legacy. Pretty awesome. That's amazing. That is pretty cool. Now we have we have to end on that. We can't go any further. We got to end on that. Go Gators. All right. Good deal. <laughs> go Gators. Go Gators. <laughs>